Hi, this is Musing with Sari, and today we're talking to Ricky Schneider from Bank of the West. He's going to give us some insights on what's going on in the banking world and maybe some things that he sees happening with COVID. He's very insightful and has lots of good information. And I think you're going to like what he has to say. So here we go. So, Ricky. Tell me a little bit about what you think is going to happen right now with banking or what's going on with banking since the pandemic. Um, well, first, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it and appreciate uh, working with you on numerous different projects. <clears throat> um, I've been in banking for just under 21 years, predominantly in business banking, um, always in Milwaukee County and surrounding areas and reaching out to clients nationally. I've seen a lot of ups and a lot of downs in the financial markets and banking, but this is by far the strangest time um, that I've ever seen. And while it sounds cliche, it is a fluid situation because it doesn't really seem to be getting better right now, at least the way I see it. Uh, we, I can only speak for what our company sees and maybe some other bankers that I've spoken to in the industry and that they are predicting more vacancies in buildings, um, some future defaults among many different industries. And then on the flip side, some industries that are going to be doing very, very well. And of course, there's the ones in the middle. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer what I'm seeing in banking. So we jotted down a couple of bullet points, Sarah and I did before um, our um, discussion today. And I think it's easier to just touch on a few of them and yeah. go back and forth. So I know some banks are not lending or they put a freeze completely on lending because we have clients that are trying to get loans to do remodels, to do build outs, to do buy-ins. And some banks are just saying, no, right, not right now. We're not doing it. We're going to sit it out. So can you touch on that a little bit? Because I think that's very yeah. interesting and it's important for people to understand. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um, without saying the names of the, of the institutions, there are some that just completely stopped uh, lending in their small business groups and their middle market groups and their commercial groups. And I can't speak to what those reasons are. I can only speak to what we're doing. I would call us in the middle. I would say we're not aggressive and we obviously didn't stop lending. What we did was make made some of the requirements uh, harder than they were and uh, have set some different expectations. Um, we've instituted some some policies where we want to see a, a, what I what I call like a buffer for failure. So in the event that their industry goes down by 10, 15, 20 percent is an example that there's room to breathe, there's room to fail. Um, and we feel that that provides us more comfort. Um, banking is is uh, very, very different right now. If I were, speaking to prospective clients as I am or anybody in general, I would tell them to try and exercise as much patience as possible because a lot of the rules are changing sometimes overnight, depending on what they see on how other customers in the bank's portfolio have been performing, how certain sectors are performing. Within every bank, there's usually a couple of categories. There's, there's underwriting and then they're ruled by something called credit administration or risk, which is very, very common in middle to larger banks or sometimes a board at a smaller bank and credit union. And those are the guys that are setting the policies and the guidelines. And 
um, sometimes they can happen pretty sharply. And this is a time where we're, we are seeing that. What are they looking for under in underwriting or anybody in the risk department that would be different than in the past? Like, are they looking yeah. for taxes? Are they looking at credit score? Is it all coming together? Because in some banking situations, I know that some things are weighed heavier than other. Like you may not have the taxes to support something, but your credit scores in the high sevens, low eights. So what would be one of the things they would actually start to look at so people can know what to worry or not worry based on whether or not they're going to get a loan or how many basis points they're going to pay or what percentage are they going to be? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, the, the things that have stayed the same have always been credit score. It's always like an expectation that you have X score or higher, um, usually in the sevens. And ca historical cash flow has always been uh, something that they're going to maintain. But to answer your question, the biggest thing that they're dwelling on right now is your liquidity and liquidity is defined on your cash on hand so if something were to happen how many months or weeks or years or or days do you have is is accessible cash to carry you through any kind of crisis and that crisis can mean different things to different people so the term cash is king is is definitely true right now cash is king so um that will command a lot of things it'll 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 allow the, the banks to feel more comfortable to lend and a lot of times if that cash is brought to the bank you're talking to it'll provide for better pricing too do you think the fed is going to i know they're speaking today do you think they're going to impose different regulations on banks for loaning not just to protect banks but to be able to stimulate the small business crisis that's about to hit us I hope so. Um, a, a lot of that uh, goes, I'm, I'm not an expert on general economics, but I would suspect that a lot of that will be tied into the SBA. So any kind of government back loans right. or any kind of micro programs that are available at the maybe city, county, state level. Um, every bank, at least federally chartered um, or sometimes state chartered, will have their own policies that aren't necessarily tied to uh, the Fed, you know, easing money. Um, but uh, I, I would hope, if anything, it continues to help small businesses. That's awesome. So if I was opening a business and I had cash on hand, but I knew I was going to need a little money to leverage bills, maybe early in my business, some cash flow issues, how would I do my banking? Would I do a fixed loan? Would I do an SBA loan? Would I do a line of credit? How would I do it now to make myself safer? and to be able to get an amount of money from the bank that would be reasonable for me to not necessarily be, bail me out, but to be able to cover some of my shortcomings. Sure, um, so that there's a different answer for every uh, different type of industry and every single individual within there, because certain industries are very difficult to obtain startup loans from. Um, and we can go into what sectors those are. Like, I would say right now, a retail clothing shop would be very tough to do, um, as opposed to if you're selling stuff online or you're a distributor, if you're in the medical segment, banks may have a bigger appetite for that industry. Then the next category down would be who you are, what kind of experience you have, what your personal balance sheet looks like as far as your assets and your liabilities going into cash and debt. Um, that's another variation of that. And then if you're among the stronger tier of startups, 
there are going to be different types of banks that specialize in your segment. And then once you locate that segment, which was why it's important if you're a startup to talk to consultants, people that understand where to navigate you versus just knocking on a random door of a bank, because every bank has a different risk appetite and a different um, profile of what kind of customers they're looking for. We can go on and on about that. Um, but sometimes you may need an SBA loan if you're a startup, and then some banks may not like startups that are on projections via SBA loans. Some banks may like medical and don't care about projections. So there's a slew of different ways. If you find your bank, however you get there, it's best to borrow when you don't need it. And if you really don't need it, to answer your question in a very long-winded way, I always prefer to have a a line of credit because when you pay it down, it opens back up again. Once you pay the loan down, it's done. Um, you should always have access to capital. And this actually translates to the personal side too. It's like if, if you have a home and you have a lot of equity in it, I always think go get a line of credit in case something happens <laughs> when you don't need it. Right. Yeah. So a lot of clients of mine and just people that I run into in general are talking about refinancing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a hot button and I wonder if it's going to be contingent upon what happened in the early 2000s with everybody getting crazy over rates and refinancing their loans literally every year. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about refinancing. When is the time to really be talking about it? I feel like a lot of clients think that they're pestering their banker every time they ask to talk about refinancing, but what they really don't realize is they're starting a conversation for many different things to happen. One, are they growing? Two, is their rate the right rate? Can we save money doing other things? Do we have to cut all these things out? Um, and it gives another set of eyes of somebody who's more involved with lots of different businesses and seeing what's going on back into your door. So it always, I think, is a good opportunity to talk to your banker about refinancing because it's checking the what's under the hood of your business mm -hmm. with somebody with a fresh eyes who does care about what you're doing. Yep. So I really keep getting asked this, when should I refinance? And I say, call your banker, yep. you know, ask them, but give us a little insight about that. Yeah. So if, so refinancing, you're going to do it for a few different reasons. One, you want to achieve a lower interest rate and pay less interest over the life of your loan, or you want to refinance because you need to um, reduce your debt service and increase your cash flow. Um, so there, you should first of all make sure you understand why you're refinancing and what your goal of refinancing is. Some people are like, I don't, I'll reduce. I just want to like get my debt paid off faster. Some people are like, I just want to have a lower payment, keep the same schedule. And so everybody has a different goal in mind. So the first thing is, is make sure you know what you want and what you need. Um, when you go to your banker, um, some, some banks or every single bank has a different refinancing process internally. Some banks may completely stonewall you and say, call this 800 number. Some people may help you. Some people may have one of their junior people help you because you're an existing customer. So it goes through a different channel within the bank. Every bank has different operating procedures and also appetites for internal refinancing. Um, it's very important to know and to have a relationship with your banker when you initiate your initial financing and talk about what that 
would look like in the event that you wanted to so you know that process and procedure because it's different for every single institution. Um, when should you start to look at refinancing? I'd say sooner than later because if you're not sure and there is a problem, it allows your banker, your consultant, your accountant, whoever to fix the problem to prepare you for when you when you need to get it done that you're in a position to get it done. Uh, some of that may be, boy, your financials haven't caught up to what you're really doing. Like, yeah, you're killing it the last few months, but we have to look back. Um, or some of that may be you're out of money and this doesn't look good. Uh, there are a slew of different things that would that could prohibit you from it. So, you know, asking to refinance early is never a bad thing because the worst case scenario is do this to make yourself look better. I look at some of our clients and I see struggles and know that they need to be talking to bankers now. And I look at other clients and see no struggles and think that they should be talking to bankers. One of the things I'm being asked by them is cash out. Mm -hmm. So if they refinance, getting cash out doesn't make sense or should they keep it within? So uh, cash out is a, is a very heavily used term right now. There's different types of cash out and it means different things to different people in different types of um, uh, industries and product lines. So when I hear cash out, it's either going to be cash out in, the, in their business or cash out on their real estate. If it's cash out in their business, the biggest thing is what are you using it for just to let it sit in, in your account and to create liquidity? And if so, you probably want to position it as not cash out, but more of like a reimbursement of something like, hey, I spent money on redecorating my office. I did it in cash. I could have taken on a loan. I'd really like the money back. That is a lot more appealing to a bank than just saying, I want blind cash to sit in my account. Um, is that is one of the things that uh, the banks have been pulling back on. And the same goes for real estate. So if you want cash out of a building, the banks are going to say, what is it for? Is Do you have like a project coming up? Is there um, a target for that money? So cash out should be communicated in the best way possible up front. Awesome. As a customer, what should I be looking for? right now should i be looking for a term amortization rate prepayment penalty operating capital what are the things that the banks are what's their appetite for the most where do you think people have the best ability to negotiate for different things that they're looking for in a loan uh yeah so i would say the stronger the customer the more negotiation power they generally have i mean that holds true in, in any industry and strength comes with um, what product lines that you're able to offer the bank. So if somebody came to me and just said, I have a $100,000 loan and that's all you're going to get, they're not going to command the best terms and rates because the return on investment to the bank is much lower than if somebody came to me with a $100,000 loan and said, I also have 34 grand in a checking account. You can have my credit card processing. I'd like to bank with you and do your online stuff. Then the ROI to the bank and the banker becomes a lot stronger and more appealing. If you, you know, I, I get a lot of questions like, I want the best rate and the best term possible. Okay, well, I want to have the best customer possible. So 
what do you have? If you want the best for me, I want the best for you. And I feel a lot of people forget that. So it's very important where if you want to negotiate with the bank and you want to have primo pricing, you need to make sure that you provide them the same services. Um, and what to look for within that would be exactly what you just said, Siri, is term rate amortization, prepayment uh, penalties. There's different variations of them. Um, access to capital. And then what people don't think about is what the partnership looks like and who the team is. Right. Um, you know, in our situation, we have a team on every single customer to make sure that they have lots of points of contact. And I think that's also very important. The team thing amongst vendors is also a very important thing. Uh, being able to have somebody to refer people to bankers, accountants, lawyers, people with different specialties, construction people is really important. I think it's very interesting that a business person would love to open up their business with the best team of people working for them, but then they don't surround themselves with the best team of people to protect their interest after they open. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's something that both of us see in our industries. Yeah, sometimes it can be very short-sighted. Um, you know, the, the transition part of somebody's business is not the only important part. That's the part that got you to the point where you need to start making money and to grow your business. And it's also important to protect that, which is why you also you have to have a very strong consultant that can look at different angles of your business. You have to have the right legal staff to, to, to contact in the event that you have different contract negotiations of different levels and somebody looking at your financials on a routine basis. And of course the bank, the, the IT and all that kind of stuff, you can go on forever. But if you don't consistently and proactively evaluate that and support that and respect that, um, it's going to be very hard to implement it when things are tougher. You, you always want to make sure that you're constantly um, using that team. It's, it's true. I see it happening now. So commercial real estate, mm -hmm. you made it some comments about vacancies. Mm -hmm. Some of the things I want to understand about commercial real estate, how the bank views it right now is where do you see it going? Do you see it hit? Are we, we're, I don't think we're at the bottom, but tell me what you think about that how people are going to be using it and how long should they wait to be making the investment back into commercial real estate? I know the rates are low. Mm -hmm. I don't think they're getting any higher anytime soon, but I think a lot of people are going to want to know where the commercial, where bankers see it going. Because I think you touch it first because you have refinancing popping up and you see different buildings with vacancies. I know that when commercial real estate is being refinanced or the loans are coming up, you got to have 60% or greater filled mostly. Mm -hmm. So where do you see it going and what have you seen happen lately? So there's two types of um, commercial real estate categories. There's owner user and there's investor. And the reasons that you would go into one of the two are, are vastly different. So if you are buying a building for your business, whether you're the only occupant or not, or the primary occupant or not, it's always a good time to buy it because the reason you buy commercial real estate is you have something at the end of the day versus versus leasing and it's all it also 
usually makes your business more marketable because if you're selling the business, you could potentially sell the building down the road. And also it acts as a retirement asset. Um, in general, commercial real estate is an illiquid investment, but a very good long-term play. Investment real estate, um, that would be a function of the tenants that are making uh, your return on investment based on your expenses, your uh, mortgage payment, and so on and so forth. So that's a completely different conversation. And before I get into some nuts and bolts on that, <clears throat> I want to answer the vacancy thing. There are four plus categories of, of industries or main industries uh, right now. There's the industrial sector, there's the medical sector, medical office, and then there's the retail sector, and then there's the multifamily sector. From everything that I've read, industrial is killing it because so many things are going online. So if within commercial real estate, that's a great one to continue. Multifamily is pretty stable. And if not doing great, because not as many people are probably buying homes, maybe with fear of their own income or the ability to obtain a home loan. Um, then there's medical office. Medical, from what I've seen and read, is still doing well. General office is going down and seeing a lot higher vacancies. And then, of course, retail, hospitality, the most vacancies. So the reason the question you pose is so important is because when buying something for your business, if you have faith in your business and you believe in your business, the way I see it, who cares what sector you're in, buy the building. I'm, I'm very pro real estate. Um, not everybody feels the same way. It's my opinion. Um, but if you're buying it for investment, then it's important to analyze the likelihood of those tenants staying, renewing, contributing to the success of your investment. Um, so it's very different for every single situation. Um, hopefully that answers your question. Oh, yeah. I think it, I think a lot of people want to know what's going to happen with office and retail because mm -hmm. I think office and retail, there's going to be innovation and change. And it's a slippery slope right now. But I think if we just can see it hit the bottom, you'll see it come back up. Yeah. And I think the investment people will be quite happy with what they get in the end. And it covers them for so many other things. It's not just investment. They get the depreciation for it. They get all kinds of breaks for it and stuff. And it's a great place to be if you can figure out how to get there a little bit. Exactly. Succession planning. One thing now, I think there's a lot of people that want to get out and be mm -hmm. done and walk away with what they have before they're done selling their businesses, deciding who their partners are going to be taking over, who's taking over stuff, mm -hmm. and then what to do after that. I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. What are you seeing with people doing succession planning? Are you seeing it? I think, feel like I'm seeing it more popping up the last couple of months. I'm seeing a lot more stuff for sale than maybe you would see, but what do you guys see at the bank? So I'm seeing two variations of uh, people ending their business career, for lack of a better term. One is the I'm done. I want out. And I don't want to live through another cycle. I don't want to have to rebuild my 401k or whatever that is. <clears throat> In those scenarios, they are giving a pretty nice discount of the value of their practice to sell. 
and, and that also makes it very easy for the buyer to uh, obtain financing. Um, they're, they want, they want to wash their hands with it and move on for those people. I would hope that they have a good financial planner or, and that they have a plan for their money, um, as to what to do with it. And then they have a plan for what to do period. And what are you gonna do with your time? And those are very important things that not a lot of people talk about. Hopefully they have hobbies or they have some part-time gig or whatever. Then there are the people that are very, uh, they feel it's very important to hit a certain number, maybe because they have a specific goal in mind. And in those cases, from a financing perspective and a sales perspective, they are either holding on to let, to see how the how third quarter is going to look or how the year is going to look. So their numbers are more tr attractive to uh, a third party evaluator or an accountant or the buyer or the bank. And they're just continuing to produce, collect and run their operation. Um, for, and then there's actually a third category that's a piggyback off the second one. Those people that want that number now, if the buyer and the seller are insistent on in getting the deal done, there are times where the bank is only going to provide so much financing. So sellers should should be prepared to, to potentially offer a small seller note, mm -hmm. which is actually great for the bank because it shows that they have skin in the game. And we've recently seen that where someone mm -hmm. didn't just have enough financing and the seller had to offer a note. Yep. And sometimes it's not a bad thing for the seller. They get to spread out their capital gains and make a little bit of money on it. Um, they have some level of involvement for the buyer. Usually doesn't totally matter because they're just making two payments instead of one. It's possible they can refinance that seller note within a year or something like that. Um, so it's not a huge deal. The, the bank likes it because it reduces their exposure. The only downside is on the front end, there's just a little bit more negotiation and paperwork between the three parties. Um, but that is a, a third way, the, the third category or a way to get some of the deals done. So. so my last question is COVID. How do you think it's going to round out? I In the beginning, I don't think you were seeing as crazy of mm -hmm. a run in the beginning of the year, but then in Q2, I think you guys were seeing people scrambling. Mm -hmm. So now that we're almost done with Q3 and on to Q4, what do you think is going to happen? How do you think it's going to affect everybody's business and finances and stuff? I try not to think about it too much because sometimes it, it scares me a little bit. I, I hope that all these businesses survive. I hope that they get the proper funding they need and that we get back to normalcy. I, feel, I think everybody feels the, the same way. I'm hoping that the that the PPP money and all the funds and grants and idle loans that people have received are not a mask for their businesses potentially failing. I'm hoping that's not the case. There are some risk officers and credit officers that feel that there are going to be defaults in Q4, Q1, Q2, which would also contribute to a lot of vacancy factors. And these are the reasons that the banks are either freezing their lending or reducing their lending, otherwise known as making it a lot more difficult to get a loan. If they're right, that's why they're doing it. Right. I hope that they're wrong, and I hope that that everybody has overreacted. And we want to remain positive, but it's just going to be a function of what businesses are allowed to operate at what capacity. And until then, if there's 
you know, no, not enough funding and they're not going to be able to survive. And the, the remaining ones will gobble each other up or there will just be empty brick and mortar. Um, and I'm hoping that's not the case. So. I hope against it too. I, I'm seeing lots of closures of things you never thought would close. So I'm hoping that we turn the boat soon steers in the other direction. But is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. If you're in your own business, I, I would I would always say remain positive, remain aggressive, um, plan to grow. Make sure that you look at all angles of your business. As you and I talked about, make sure that you uh, respect your partners. I, I think everybody right now is is on edge. Everybody has their different levels of stress um, for their own business, their families, um, their employers. You know, there's stress all the way around. Um, be aware that uh, everybody is doing their best in a very difficult time. Be kind to each other. Um, and also communication is key. Thank you, Rick, for coming. Your insights are amazing. I want to remind everybody out there that's listening, it is not bad to ask other people for their opinion and help in business. It doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. Innovating your business and changing with the times that we are in is about talking to other people and finding out what goals, strategies, what they're looking for. If you can help people better, you're going to be more successful in the long run. So you're going to have to ask people questions of what they're really looking for. And with banking especially, Rick or any banker may not be able to help you, but they may be able to point you in the direction of somebody who can help you. So listen to what they're saying because people aren't betting against you failing. They want to help you because it makes them feel good and it helps somebody to be able to do better and not deal with difficult times. It's an exciting time and a scary time. It doesn't have to be so scary. Keep your ears open and listen to what people are saying because truly they do have the answers for you.